You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Happy Palm Sunday to you. We're doing things a little out of order with tradition, which is not super uncommon here at 1208. Uh, but we usually just kind of jump in the Bible and go where we're going. And uh, there's a passage that I didn't plan on stopping it, except it gets a little bit into resurrection. And that's what next week's all about. Uh, get, this, get this in our minds, okay? Oftentimes on Easter, we go to church on Easter and we hear about the cross when Easter is actually about resurrection. Ironically, I'll be preaching about the cross and how it leads to resurrection next week. But still, uh, this week we're going to spend more talking solely about resurrection. And we're going to talk about it as the Bible actually explains it. Now, every once in a while I have a theme come up in my life, in my uh, Bible study, that just completely reshapes my world, the way I'm thinking, the way that I'm understanding the Bible, the way that I read the Bible. start to get my head a little bit more in the way that... uh, the Bible writers thought and suddenly passages explode in ways that they never have before. You know, in uh, college, it was about the Holy Spirit. Suddenly the Bible exploded in a new way. I understood the Holy Spirit a lot better. Uh, then later it was the kingdom of heaven. That started to explode. Then it was God's aspect of peace and how that means that we should live. And that exploded in me. This past year or two, it's been, uh, well, it's been several things. Um, but one of the things that's really taken off in my mind is resurrection. So much so that in my book, uh, The Rush and the Rest, one of my longest chapters in there, which I didn't even really plan on it being in there, is about resurrection. But it's because we find it all throughout the Bible, but we never really talk about it in church. Unless, of course, you come here, then you're like, Jamin, you talk about this stuff too much as it is. Cool, all right? It might be a re-crash course for a lot of you. But it's the Easter season, and it's good to look deep into this idea because the Bible truly understood resurrection from Old Testament to New Testament, to be an important place in which we're headed, so much so that Paul actually was like, look, if there's no resurrection, to paraphrase Paul, he's like, we're screwed, okay? I don't know if that's a message version or something, but more or less, that's just like Paul's like, if there's no resurrection, this whole thing's just pointless, and people should pity the Christians because we don't know what we're doing. And yet, in churches a lot today, we don't know what resurrection really is. Here's what we think it is, though. Here's what we've been taught that it is. It's dying and going to be to heaven with God in a spiritual plane of existence, streets of gold, all this stuff. You know, that's the kind of message that we flock to. It's the kind of message that we push nonstop. But believe it or not, that is not what resurrection is. That is actually a phase along the line of resurrection. But it is not resurrection. It's not in any way the definition of resurrection. So this is going to change. If it's new to you, it'll change the way that you see the Bible. It'll change the way that you see the end of where God is taking us. And once you understand the end of where God's taking us, it starts to change your whole life as to where you're going, right? <laughs> because if the end starts to change, and it's not just I die and go to heaven and the earth doesn't matter, it's just going to blow up. Well, suddenly, if that's not the case then everything about where you're headed changes. Your mission changes, your trajectory changes, and it affects everything. So when I was writing this, I realized this message was going to be super boring because I just had way too many Bible passages. So here's the deal. I'm going to leave it on you. If you want to learn more about these Bible passages, you will see them referenced on the screen. Write them down. 
You can go look at them later. Otherwise, I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of it. Okay, So just like, I'm going to give you the bullet points of what resurrection is in the Bible. So here's how we're going to get into it, though, since we're in Matthew. Matthew 14, 1 through 12 is the story of John the Baptist being beheaded. And here's how it goes. So Jesus is out doing ministry. We've seen that already all throughout uh, uh, the last 13 chapters. And then we just suddenly have like a cut, a scene change. If we we're watching this as a movie, scene change over to another story going on with John the Baptist. At that time, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why his miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother, Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. I don't want to meet that child. (laughs) And the king was sorry, but because of his oath and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. All right, so let's just revisit the passage. John the Baptist, this great prophet, so much so that Jesus actually talks about John. He says, born of women, there has been no one greater than John the Baptist, which is a weird expression to make. But nonetheless, that's how great that Jesus saw John the Baptist. And now John has been taken prisoner by a politician because John was telling the politician, you're not really living the way that God would have you live and you need to stop this. You're, you're sleeping around with your brother's wife. That's not cool. And he doesn't like that. So he gets John thrown in prison, but he's afraid to kill John because everyone knows he's a prophet, this great prophet. He's scared of him, right? And you don't just kill great prophets. But then his niece, right, comes along and begins to do probably what is some kind of sexy dance for him. Awkward, but that would have been kind of the culture at the time. And he's so happy with this dance that he's like, I'll give you anything, whatever you want. She's like, all right, mom wants you to kill John the Baptist. So that's what he does because he feels like he has to live up to that. But remember, Herod, uh, does I have the right person? (laughs) The Tetrarch. The politician is mad. Uh, Sorry, he's scared because he just killed this great prophet that he was scared to kill because everybody knew that this guy was a great prophet. So now he lets his fear get a hold of him. And here's the assumption, the crazy assumption that this guy jumps to. The politician's like, I killed that guy. And I just heard rumors of some other guy named Jesus doing miracles. And this is just reaching my ears. That guy... Oh man, I remember I gave the body to his disciples and they took John the Baptist and buried him. They must have not buried him. His head must have just miraculously come back on and he's been resurrected. And John the Baptist is now walking around with this guy named Jesus. And he's walking in this resurrected body with power and, and he's coming for me. You know, like this is the kind of fear that's probably going through Herod's mind. It sounds crazy. But the Pharisees at the time were teaching about this idea of resurrection. That we would all one day come back to life. 
Now, we don't understand, uh, we don't have any records of that resurrected body having, like, powers. But Herod, obviously, his fears got the best of him. And he's like, that guy I killed just came back to life. And now he's doing crazy things and he's probably coming for me. So this is what's going through his mind, that John the Baptist has been resurrected. So that just puts us in a weird place. Because that's not usually our assumption, right? Someone dies and then we hear of someone else walking in power. We're not like, ah, that's that guy I killed. (laughs) Walking around in a new body. So, like, we need to get into their mind. What are they thinking of? What is resurrection? I'm going to look through the Bible and just give you some pointers that we see. Resurrection in Jesus' teaching, first off. In resurrection, in this new world, this new life, this new body that you put on, this resurrected body that, that this politician thought that John the Baptist put on, Jesus says when we put that body on, there will be no more marriage, and therefore there will be no more sex. Now, I don't know if that means there's no more genitals or just nobody uses their genitals. I don't know how that works, right? All I know is that in this resurrected body, Jesus is like, life is so different that in the resurrected world, things don't carry over. He's actually talking to some people at the time who are like, hey, this woman was married to seven people. So in the resurrected life, which one is she actually married to? Or is she married to all seven And Jesus is like, you're not even thinking straight. Resurrection isn't just this life carried over into the new life. Resurrection, when you put on the new body, that's completely different. It doesn't operate in the same way. There's not even need anymore for things like like sex and things like that. One of the most basic ways that everybody is prone to work in in some way, right? On top of that, Jesus says that this new body, this resurrected body, it can't die. It lives on forever. So... He's continuing to give us these ideas as to what resurrection looks like. He also tells us that when we put on that body, we'll be equal to the angels. Now, that sounds a bit startling, right? So much so that I've actually been in a lot of churches where people are trying to, like, water down those kind of passages. Like, well, that's not really what they mean. We're just lowly humans. But, man, if you pay attention to what the Bible says about humanity all the way from the beginning of the Bible, I mean, even just think of Abraham's promise, right? God says, one day, Abraham, you will be countless like the stars. And stars in ancient thinking, those were spiritual beings, divine beings. And here's God promising Abraham, one day you're going to be like all that. And you see that all the way through the Bible, and we'll continue to see it. But Jesus tells us right here, the resurrected body puts you on par with spiritual beings. The angels that rule in the heavenlies, that image God in the heavenlies, just like we image God on the earth. You're going to be on par, same level with them. In this new body. He goes on. He tells us that uh, we will become sons of God. Now, if you've been listening to my teaching over the last few years, that will really pop at you. Sons of God. Not only are you on equal level with the spiritual beings, with angels, but the sons of God. You guys know what the sons of God are? They're the ones who were given power to reign over the nations. They are the little G gods of the rest of the world throughout the Bible. God comes along and he's like, you're going to be on par with the angels. And Jesus is like, you're going to be on par with the other powers and authorities in heaven who have been delegated authority to rule over the other nations. That is how much Jesus explodes what a resurrected human looks like. They're far up the power chain. On top of that, uh, Jesus shows us uh, that the Pharisees were right. Okay. So right now he's duking it out with Sadducees and he's telling them, you don't understand what resurrection looks like. But the Pharisees were the ones who believed in resurrection. Sadducees were like, uh, they they were very scientific in their thinking. 
The Sadducees were like, oh, there's no, there's no spirits. There's no angels. We don't have spirits. It's nothing like that. We just, we're earth. We die. It's done. It's over, right? That's a lot of teaching that's going around today. That's not new, believe it or not. That's, that's religious thinking from the Sadducees. But the Pharisees were teaching, no, we actually think that there is a spirit, there, is, there are angels, and we think that one day God might raise us from the dead. We've been reading the Bible, and it looks like there's some slim chances and some passages saying we might come back to life. And we're hopeful for that to be the case. And Jesus, when he talks about resurrection, he therefore shows the Pharisees are right. They're right. It actually is a thing. And then Jesus goes one more step and he starts telling his disciples that he's going to be resurrected. Right? He starts telling them while they're walking, guys, look, I'm going to die. Okay? And Peter's like, far be it from you, Lord. And and Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. Right? Jesus is trying to get straight to it. You guys need to understand, I'm going to die, but in three days I'm going to be resurrected. He told them ahead of time. They still didn't get that. And you see them doubting all the way to... Literally, they see Jesus in the flesh. He's been resurrected, and the Bible says, and they worshiped him, though some doubted, right? So even in the Jesus' resurrected stage, which he prophesied was coming, the disciples still didn't get it. And resurrection is that far beyond a lot of our minds. We're like, oh, it just sounds too good or too crazy to be true. All right, so that's resurrection in Jesus' teaching. Here's resurrection in Jesus' life. Once Jesus is resurrected, okay, so this Friday is Good Friday where we... Remember that Jesus died on a cross for us, right? But then Sunday is Easter where he's resurrected again. On Sunday, after Jesus is resurrected, he walks around town and runs into his disciples. So Jesus is now in this resurrected body he's been talking about, okay? This isn't just Jesus, he's been raised back from life. This is Jesus, he's been resurrected. He's put on that resurrected body. So like the disciples can be like, now we really know it's real. Now we know resurrection is not just made up because Jesus is wearing that body right now. And we've seen it. So how does Jesus's resurrected body work? In some pretty crazy ways. <laughs> Jesus does so many weird things throughout the Bible that it doesn't phase us what he does when he's resurrected. But if you pay attention to what he does when he's resurrected, he's like really doing crazy stuff. Right? Stuff that he should by no means be able to do and just seems extreme. In one case, uh, actually three cases, he's not recognized. Uh, Mary sees him first and she looks right at him and she thinks that he's just the gardener of the area. Which means that somehow Jesus has masked his body, it seems. Or unless the resurrected body looks that different, I don't know. Uh, And then interestingly in John, twice... The disciples are in a locked room when Jesus just appears. (laughs) Hey guys, how you doing? You know, like, if you want to make that like, uh, he didn't just appear, then what you have to think of is like Jesus standing in a dark corner like a ninja, you know, like he's been waiting for two days to pull this off. That's not the case. Jesus just appears in a room. Hey guys, I'm alive. And they're like, what is happening? Twice in the Gospel of John. He appears in a locked room. He's like, here I am. And then the next chapter, he appears in a locked room. Here I am. It's like he can just phase in and out of existence some, somehow. So we see in John 20, uh, 19 and John 20, 26 and Luke 24, 31, Jesus can just vanish. And then here's something very interesting about the resurrected body that I'm really hoping is the case for all of us because this would be awesome, right? He ascends into heaven. Now, so often we're like, well, Jesus was God. Of course, he ascended into heaven. No, Jesus was fully man. He was also fully God. 
But the Bible is clear, like Jesus has subjected his, his fully God self to being fully man. I don't know if you know this, but fully man people do not just ascend into heaven. <laughs> which means Jesus is probably doing this through his resurrected body. Which, you know, makes me wonder, when we put that on, can we just kind of like head to heaven, stay on earth, whatever? That'd be awesome, right? Watch, I'll do it right now. Did you see it? <laughs> I did it so quick. Okay, never mind. Uh, resurrection in Paul's teaching. Paul was a Pharisee, right? Paul was a Pharisee, which means uh, Paul believed in resurrection. So when Jesus is resurrected, Paul's mind seems like blown by this. Yes, resurrection is real. We, the Pharisees, have been teaching that forever. We were hoping it was real, but we had no real proof. And now God has come to earth as Jesus and he's been resurrected. It's a real thing. So this explodes in Paul's teaching all throughout the, his, his letters, okay? Here's what Paul starts telling us. In Thessalonians, he tells us that if we die, it, it seems he says uh, we go to sleep and we're with Jesus. Now, when he says go to sleep, some people think that means like soul sleep, like we just die and we're asleep for like until Jesus comes back. No, it's more like we die our body goes to sleep. Why is it sleeping? Well, because God's going to bring it back to life later. So in the meantime, we go to be with God, which is what Thessalonians seems to talk about. Because it talks about when Jesus returns, he returns with all the Christians who have already died. It's almost like his heavenly army of sorts. That army that you see in Revelation, it's not just angels. It also seems to be like Christians along with them. So the Christians who have already died go to be with God in the spiritual heaven. That is what you have been taught about life after death, right? That's, that's what we thought resurrection was. It's not. Paul says that that's like the in-between between now and the resurrection is if we die before Jesus comes back, we just go to be with him. He says that when Jesus comes back, the dead Christians who have already died or have fallen asleep, if you will, they're going to be resurrected first. So because they've already been behind us, God's going to give them their bodies first. And then 1 Thessalonians continues to tell us that the Christians who are still alive at the time when Jesus comes back, they're going to put on their resurrected bodies next. It also says that we'll put on our resurrected bodies and meet with Jesus in the clouds, which is unfortunate because people think that that's talking about the rapture, which you could maybe read it like that, but... The rapture doesn't actually seem to be much of a biblical idea, in my opinion. That's more like, imagine God, imagine Jesus coming on the clouds with the resurrected Christians, and now the Christians on the earth ascending up to that cloud with him. And now you've got the Christians who have passed and the new Christians who are still alive all coming together to the earth, not like just flying away and going up to heaven. It's not the idea of going away, it's the idea of coming down. Okay, so Paul goes on. He tells us that Christianity basically falls apart if there's no such thing as resurrection. And he talks about that passionately. He tells us as a resurrected body will be imperishable. You can't hurt it. You can't afflict it. It lives on. It's a glorious body. Glory is always this thing that seems to get attached to, to, to God, right? So we're kind of putting on his glory. Uh, and then it will be a powerful body. So Herod, who's afraid that he's killed John the Baptist, now he's returned in a powerful resurrected body. Guess what? He actually ended up being right. <laughs> uh, 
Paul tells us it'll be a powerful body. Paul tells us it'll be a spiritual body, which again, another unfortunate translation. We think that that means, therefore, we're in a spiritual plane of existence, right? But he means like spiritual as in like fully Holy Spirit led. Okay. The physical body that we once had is now merged with Jesus in this physical state or spiritual state. And it'll be an immortal body. It can't die. It lives on forever. Paul keeps going on. He says it's going to be a body like Jesus's body. So when you look at the body that Jesus is, is walking in after Easter, that's what Paul sees us looking like as well. Uh, the Bible goes on to tell us that we start to become to look like Jesus in all kinds of ways. Romans says we're conformed to his image. First John says we shall be like him. Second Corinthians says we're going from glory to glory. It keeps getting better. Starting right now as a Christian, you get saved. That's a certain level of glory. Then you become more sanctified. You start growing. You start growing the fruit of the spirit. You become going glory to glory until finally you reach that ultimate glory of the resurrected body where you've been completely made like Jesus. We go from glory to glory. The resurrection is ahead of us. We're moving forward and forward in glory. Second uh, Peter tells us we will partake in the divine nature. Second Peter also tells us uh, that as we become like Jesus, we escape corruption and sin. And he tells us that we'll grow in character starting right now. And then finally, we get to the end of the Bible, right? Because we think resurrection's at the end. That's when the whole thing comes to like its full climax. And so we expect to see that in Revelation. Surprisingly, Revelation doesn't talk about resurrection much until, of course, it gets to the very end. And then here's what we see, something very interesting. Another thing rarely taught. There's two resurrections, okay? So first, there's a resurrection that seems to be for some particular Christians who have already, who have been martyred. Specifically, they've been beheaded for Jesus. It's possible that means like all Christians who have already died before that point. Or it could mean that uh, the first resurrection is like some specific Christian leaders. But then there's a second resurrection. So any Christians who are left would be in this. But here's what's interesting. The second resurrection is for all of humanity. In other words, no one escapes the resurrection. All humans, according to the Bible, will one day be resurrected into this new state. But here's what happens after that. The books of judgment are open. So there's these books that record all the sins of people. And then there's one other book called the book of life. If your name's in the book of life, Therefore, you've been following Jesus. He is your king, your master. Then you get into heaven. If not, then this new resurrected body, if that, okay, the new resurrected body has two destinations. Everyone gets resurrected, but some are going to be sent into heaven. And then the others, which Jesus talks about quite a bit in the gospels, will be sent into the lake of fire. Uh, so we see like resurrection is even important from a missional standpoint. God doesn't want anyone to go to the lake of fire. If you read Revelation time and time again, it's not him just like wanting to pour out vengeance. It's him saying, come on, get saved, come to me. And people say, no, we hate you. We don't want you. And that's the kind of way that it's phrased that people headed to the lake of fire are the ones who are like, no, we don't want to have anything to do with you. But God opens up the book of life and he's like, look, Get your name in this. Get your name in this. Because one day everyone will be resurrected. And that resurrected body gets assigned to the kingdom of heaven or to the kingdom of hell. 
And given what we've learned about the resurrected body today, you know, we can imagine being thrown in a lake of fire with something like a resurrected body. That's, that's not going to be pleasant. And then Revelation wraps up with heaven fully established, not in the sky, but on the earth. Okay? And that is like the fullness of the resurrected life. Heaven on earth, God's presence here on the earth with new resurrected bodies living out in a completely different way that doesn't look like the old way. A new Eden that's even more glorious than the old Eden. A new Jerusalem that's even more glorious than the old Jerusalem. This is the story of resurrection that the Bible tells us all throughout, specifically today, the New Testament. And when all we think about Easter is the cross, we miss all of this. When all we think about Easter is, oh yeah, Jesus was raised and one day I'll die and go to heaven. We miss all of this. This should change your trajectory. It should start to help you see like there's a lot to resurrection. There's a lot to where God wants to take us. There is an invitation that he is giving us right now at 12 Oak Greenwood in every church, every Christian. I want more people in the resurrection, not in the lake of fire, but in the kingdom of heaven. So get out there. Tell them about me. Let them know I love them. It's not that God wants to smite people or, or hurt people. It's not that God wants anyone to go to the lake of fire. Not at all. But you have to understand, like, a part of God's love is judgment. All throughout Revelation, you have Christians saying time and time again, God, when are you going to avenge us? We know we can't take vengeance. But these people have killed us. They've been operating with demonic powers just to bring all kinds of evil on the earth. Are you just going to let this happen? Look at all the people they're afflicting. Not even just us. Look at everything they're doing. And if God's truly love, then at some point, you also have to deal with evil. So, God leaves us now in this place. I know I stated over and over again. Second Peter tells us that he's waiting to come back because he wants more to be saved. And so our attention really needs to be on our neighborhood, on where you work, where you live, where you play, showing them who Jesus is and inviting them into this new life that God's calling us all into. Not just that they might one day die and spiritually fly away to heaven, but that they might be present when the new heaven comes down to earth. And God's kingdom is fully established in the way that he wanted it to be in the beginning. And where we seem to no longer deal with sin and death or anything like that. Because all that's been done away with. You still have free will. But imagine this. Imagine this. Imagine this. Such a good image. Imagine still having free will. But looking so much like Jesus that you no longer want to sin with your free will. As though you already passed that test. It's good, right? So we're going to enter into worship. Uh, and during this time, just bring all that before God. And there's a lot of questions people could ask, especially when you get on the topic of hell, you know? <laughs> Especially on the topic of resurrection. And there's more I could say and even more that I'd like to say, but I've been talking too long as it is. So 
we're just going to take everything, this crash course, and just bring it before God and say, where can you take me more in this? How should this affect my life, change my life? I want everyone to be able to get to a point that you're where Paul was in 1 Corinthians 15, that you just have to say, man, if there's no such thing as resurrection, then we're all screwed. None of this matters. Because the truth is I've met, you know, met and read books from Christians who, who think that resurrection is just a bunch of mumbo jumbo, just metaphor. And to them, Paul says, then what does this matter? You don't get to pick and choose as to what you believe in the Christian faith. You have to bring it before God. You have to subject it to the Bible and let him teach you. So let's do that right now as we worship. Uh, you can take on whatever posture you like. Would you start by standing? We have a prayer team in the back corner if you would like prayer for anything.